And then it's up to that woman to go into the top team and pitch why they should be addressing gender balance. We don't think that's very effective, right? Don't get women pushing the idea. That doesn't work so well. More effective is to get it on the agenda and say, okay, is this a business issue for us? Yes or no? And then let them argue it out with the data in hand. And our experience of that is they are far more progressive than we think. Mm. They don't have the tools, they don't have the time, and they haven't focused on the issue. And they've never had a substantive conversation with their peers about this topic. Welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. I'm Verena Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus. With this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus fellowship program, I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to develop and progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. Today, you can take the first step to join our network of like-minded fellows from all sectors by registering interest today on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest. Applications to our fellowship program are open now. By taking part, you get access to a senior leader mentor, thought leadership about what works for parents and careers, and most importantly, space to think in a structured environment about what you want to do and how to get there. Today's conversation is with an incredibly inspirational woman, Aviva Wittenberg-Cox. We've had the chat back in February and I usually actually cut longer conversation a little bit, but I just couldn't with this one. It was so thought-provoking for me. So I've cut it into two episodes. So in this first conversation today, we are talking about how do you influence senior leaders who don't care about gender balance and how do you get them to support this agenda because let's face it, the most important people to get on board are those who don't care about it. Um, Aviva is the absolutely right person to answer this question. She's an author, an acclaimed speaker and the CEO of 21st, a leading global gender balance consultancy. She works with multinational firms to help them be more gender balanced. She's also a mother of grown children, so she knows what she's talking about. And she has generously acted as a wonderful Leaders Plus mentor. Her fellow keeps emailing me with how wonderful she is, which is very lovely to hear. So the second part of this conversation will be released next week. And do let me know what you think about conversations cut into two. But I think hopefully it will work quite well. Enjoy the conversation. A very warm welcome, Aviva, to the podcast. Thank you so much for giving up your time to have a chat. My great pleasure. Nice to be here. So you and I had a conversation at a very early start of when I was thinking about work with Leaders with Babies and Leaders Plus. And you kindly allowed me to come along with my baby and <laughs> give me lots of advice, insights and suggestions. But I love babies. I, I, obviously, <laughs> obviously so. And she's still actually, even though she's not a baby anymore, she still plays with that Madagascan toy that you gave her. <laughs> so before we get into that, can you just tell me a bit about what you do, what your trajectory was, and perhaps a bit about your family? So perhaps start with the foundations. So, so family is foundational. And I was brought up by a very powerful mother. My dad died when I was three. And so my role model at home was a very elegant, beautiful French woman who did everything, worked, raised three children on her own is a Holocaust survivor, so I had a very challenging life, 
very, very hard life and did it with grace and humor and is still around and kicking at 94. I was just speaking with her last night. So that's my personal role model. So people telling me that it does set frame for life that I have lived an intensely privileged life. It's been infinitely easier and simpler than hers, but it sets a context to that privilege that I don't take it for granted. It's also spurred me to live most of my life in Europe since my parents were European. Although I was born in Canada, I re-emigrated back at age 20 and have never really left. And I got into this whole gender topic sort of sideways, like a lot of people do. I started when I was pregnant with my second child. And we had just moved into the suburbs outside of Paris, which I was not used to. And I was suddenly surrounded by a lot of women who did not work. And I thought, I'm not going to survive on this regimen. And I needed to create a club of women more like me and started a very informal lunch club of what I called women like us, which was other working mothers who liked men, liked children, and liked work, and were looking for how to balance all of those things together. And it just grew and grew. It became one of Europe's big professional women's network, now called Global PWN. And over a decade of listening to women across all these different countries and all these different careers, I learned a lot about a subject I thought was kind of obsolete. I had grown up thinking gender was kind of done and we were all liberated and ready to roll. That decade of running that association that I started in 1996, late 90s, was a real eye-opener to me that it wasn't done at all. And that, in fact, led then to creating in the early 2000s, first going into coaching and becoming a certified coach. And I started doing a lot of coaching of executive women and leaders and leadership development programs for women, first through the association and then as a separate business. And then one day, somewhere around 2005, I had an epiphany that actually the problem wasn't women. (laughs) And that's when I flipped the business model away from what I sort of now regard as fixing women's strategies to how can we actually build more balanced capitalism, businesses, Mm -hmm. countries, couples, structures, and systems and cultures, rather than keep talking to women, by women, among women, for women, I'm now kind of profoundly convinced that who we need to get to change in the 21st century is men and the systems they have designed. Absolutely. But how? (laughs) But how? Well, first by engaging them. So my theme for 2020 is engaging men and leaders in gender balance. I think we as women and we as women in companies have done a tremendous amount of work over these last decades on broadly empowering women, connecting them, networking, getting us to talk to each other. We have been less effective in getting men and leaders to understand that this is actually their issue. So how to do that is by getting gender balance onto leadership agendas, radars, and KPIs, right? They need to be measured on the balance they are able to build in their businesses. And increasingly, I think through a range of strategies that we have gotten good at, right? A combination of government regulation, 
pressure ranking women's associations applauding good companies that are getting it right showcasing what balanced leadership looks like we have been quite effective i think at getting this onto the front pages me too was an additional wake up wave that only propelled that whole movement forward gets women to build their courage and speak out more and insist more adamantly on adapting cultures so how do we engage the people who are least keen on this who don't get it and who really think it's a side issue so i think the issue is it really has to be reframed the whole topic is framed as a women's issue and it's in companies particularly led and run by women and seen to be for and about women. So I think one of the key things that we work with in organizations is to change that. It has to be led by leadership teams, not just by the CEO as a lonely figure out on this kind of push for gender balance. It really has to be a shared alignment. So my experience of leadership teams is they're not yet very aware or aligned on the topic. And they need a little bit of time and skill building to get good at leading the change. That it's a really important leadership skill for the 21st century to be able to lead more balanced talent and connect with more balanced customers. And I think we overestimate their ability and capacity to do so. And so we force them to act on this stuff through targets and pressure and lobbying but they aren't really very skilled and nobody gives them any place or time to actually figure out how to do this. So I think starting at the top with some concentrated focus time, align leaders, skill them up, get them prepared to lead has been extremely key in the organizations that we've been working with and that's always our first step. Mm. We spend time with leaders and in fact we spend time first with executive teams. We actually get them to spend one day off-site with each other debating the why, what, and how of gender balance. And it's so eye-opening for them that usually they then decide that they have to cascade that to the levels below. That's really interesting because I bet you are then in some rooms with people who don't necessarily want to be there. The boss might have said that this is a priority, but not everyone will think that it's the best Time always, spent. always. That's always the case, right? We obviously do a lot of preparatory work before we get in the room. We do a lot of what we call deep scans, where we interview them all individually, anonymously. We do a lot of metrics. We measure what the company is, where it stands, how it looks like, what it's tried to do for the last few years, if anything, on the topic. So we go in fairly well prepared, but we're always talking to teams that are not aligned. Mm. Right, You will get in any group of men and women a range of what we always call the progressive, the patient, and the plodding. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> okay, so what are the common things people say at the beginning who don't really think this is something worth spending time oh, very, on? And how do you deal with it? They're always very classic, right? And it's very interesting that you hear the, exactly the same thing in every sector, in every country, in every company. So the classic things you hear is, I am gender blind. I don't care if anybody is male or female. All I care about is competence. 
mm-hmm. classic mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and a lot of the people listening to this right now may be having a boss or senior director at exec level who is saying exactly that message how do you respond to that we show them what we call their gender jaws, right? It's what's the balance on their team. So data is a girl's best friend. Data, 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 data is all I can keep saying. And you just show what the data in the company looks like. So if you are working in what is truly a meritocracy rather than a meritocracy that is claimed by the gentleman running it to be one, you should see a relatively straight line of whatever percentage of men and women you start with at the beginning of your recruitment funnel through to more senior levels. And unfortunately, that is not yet what we're seeing in most companies, right? We see now very gender balanced intakes. So companies have worked and progressed a lot on gender balancing their graduate intakes. Sometimes there are even more women than men, but getting that to flow through middle management and into senior management, depending on the company, the sector, the team is very differentiated. And what you'll find in most companies and most leadership teams is the gender balance of a team depends not on the country it's in and not on the sector it's in and not on all the things they think matter but on the leader who's running it and how much Mm. they prioritize or don't this Mm. issue. Yeah, very interesting. This is slightly unrelated, but just the other day I was uh, headhunting mentors and you're obviously a mentor for one of our fellows, so thank you very much. And I was just so surprised. I was targeting a particular organization because I thought they would have interesting people. And I looked at it by seniority, which you can when you do headhunting on LinkedIn. And I was just really disheartened how it went, the further you went up, the more men there were. And obviously I knew that, but just seeing it, it was a moment of shock. I have to but that's admit. a really important point, right? Seeing it. And so this is one of what we're always amazed at is how leaders, these guys don't often see in one very simple picture what their organizations look like by gender. And the visual skills of presenting data in a powerful and impactful way Mm. is not something we find too often in HR teams that are presenting the data. So simplifying it, it's only one graph that you need to show them. I've written about this quite often. It's on uh, my Harvard blogs and my Forbes blogs. It's get a clear picture of what we call your gender jaws and stick it under the nose of the boss who says it's a fair place because it doesn't look fair. And when you show them to a leadership team, their gender jaws they are hard pressed to argue Mm. that this is a meritocracy. And you can show them where it drops off. You can interview, and when you interview them, they'll tell you why it drops off. Mm. That's very true. Obviously, people listening to this podcast are mainly parents. And I do think there's an issue at the moment that many HR departments measure retention post-maternity or shared parental leave, but they don't mention progression. So it's very hard at this stage to illustrate to a senior leader the impact on progression of becoming a parent. Is there anything that you would advise to a parent who comes back who sees that there are some senior women on the level above, but most of them don't have children because they had to choose between career or family? Any suggestion from you on how to influence in that Yeah, first of all, name it. I think this is so interesting, right? So again, we have full days with these leadership teams and we show them another picture. I mean, pictures are really good, right? 
And we have to get much better at using visuals, <laughs> simple visuals to communicate. But one of the pictures we show them is what their leadership looks like, whether they're dual career or single earner, whether they're male or female, and whether they have children or not. And what emerges very quickly in a lot of companies still today in 2020 is that the majority of senior men are single earner or lead earner couples. So they have wives at home that either don't work or work in a very supple, flexible kind of career. And they all tend to have children, whereas a lot of the senior women will be in dual career couples and will not have children. And when you visually see that difference, it's very powerful, right? And nobody names it and talks about it. So I think you have to measure some of these things to make them more visible. And what we always tell companies and what we tell these guys is be careful about the women you call role models for the next generation. Because if all of your most senior women are also sometimes swapping roles with men, so they become the lead bread earner and their husbands don't work, and or they don't have any children, that is not necessarily a very aspirational role model to the next generation, when they think it is, right? And the other big issue I'd suggest in companies around parenting is that all the leaders still talk about parenting. They're actually talking about women. And they can't quite get used to gender neutralizing their vocabulary and policies around parenting. And they can't ensure that all of their men who are young fathers get the same kind of flexibility. So there's a big generation gap between boomer men who are running organizations today and younger millennial men who are parents who would like to take shared parental leave, but feel like it will affect their career. And there's enough research to show that it mm. will. With some notable exceptions, there are a couple of companies that are more effective than others at getting their fathers mm. to take leave. So lucky if you work for you know UBS or Aviva, but that's not yet the case. So yeah, this is part of what I mean when you build leadership skills in the area, they need to go beyond just mm. promoting women who've become men, which mm. is what they're doing right now. I couldn't agree more. And ladies yeah. who are listening, don't become men in order to succeed. Yeah, become what you want to do. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and, uh, if consider... you want to become a man, become well, a man. We yeah. can do that these days. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, I've worked really hard to make sure that the fellowship is inclusive of men as well. I haven't quite succeeded to get people to apply as men to apply in the first few years, but we are having a group of men this year, which is extremely exciting. That's very good. Um, anyways. That's I'm the still, key, right? Let me just stress, this is to me one of our generation's biggest flips, right? So I always say I contextualize and simplify female, you know, gender balance history by saying our grandmothers got the vote, our mothers got the pill, we got good jobs and a good education, and hopefully our children will get true shared parental leave. That's the next big leveling of the playing field, because that's what still is distinguishing men and women at work, is that women are still carrying a lot of the parenting load. 
But now the governments are right behind us, right? Mm -hmm. They are voting in shared parental leave with a vengeance. And mm -hmm. there'll be a lot of growing pressure on companies. And there are a lot of companies now really stepping up. The big tech companies, Goldman Sachs, I mean, all these nice male-dominated bastions are suddenly pushing equal shared parental leave paid at normal rates. Mm. That's a game changer. Mm, I completely agree. Um, I do want to talk a bit more about the bad news, though, just because about I have... The I want to talk about the bad stuff, just because oh, I yeah. know someone I thought who... we already had. <laughs> Is that all good? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, I, I am interested. I just want to understand more about how you change your people's minds. So what are your arguments for why this matters when you're faced with someone who says, I'm a CEO of a big company, we're performing really well. Actually, no, thanks. I don't need any of that gender equality stuff or parent inclusion stuff. So my secret sauce for convincing men about gender balance is don't convince them. <laughs> the idea that women can preach to men and convince them of anything, I think, is something that we, <laughs> we highly overestimate. So as smart, tactical, strategic, well-educated women, we can learn to change our tactics. So my tactics is don't convince them. You know what really changes their mind? is when they convince each other. These are smart guys, right? <laughs> the issue is not bias. I get slightly enraged by the unrolling of unconscious bias. Da, 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 da. In my Can you just explain what unconscious bias is for people who don't know? Well, unconscious bias is, I think, we're all unconsciously biased. We all have a preference for people who most resemble us. And as soon as you get some difference in the room, the natural human default is to prefer the people most like you. And so that's a lot of what's going on in organizations. That's problems with racism, xenophobia, nationalism, all those things are a fear and discomfort with difference, right? And some of that is very conscious and some of that is completely unconscious. And you have all of that in all human populations all over the world, including among women about men, right? And so a lot of companies are trying to address gender imbalances by rolling out large unconscious bias training programs for middle management. I'm skeptical about that because it doesn't really seem to work. And I think it wants to accuse before it educates. So I think we kind of want um, to accuse other people of being biased against us when I think really it's much more about ignorance than it is about bias, at least in a first step, right? I think men for the last 50 years at least have been educated to think that being progressive means treating men and women exactly the same. That's what we've been asking them to do for a long time, right? Treat us exactly the same. Well, it turns out that doesn't work because we're not the same and we don't want to be the same. And now we're advocating for our own differences and being able to keep whatever makes us women or whatever makes us anything along the now 52 gender spectrum, right? And so I think the issue is we really need to educate men about gender balance. And they don't get any education anywhere. They don't get it in school. They don't get it in college. They certainly don't get it in business school, which is one of my pet projects, is getting gender balance into the core MBA business curriculum so that men will learn 
about gender balance, both at home and at work, by the way, so that they can understand the differences. To me, I always equate this with the Chinese. If you want to work with the Chinese and sell to the Chinese, every business person in the world knows that you might want to learn the language and the culture of the Chinese. Well, now that women are 60% of educated university graduates globally, and they're 80% of consumer goods buying decisions in an ever-expanding range of sectors, if you want to sell to women or you want to recruit and develop the majority of today's educated talent, you will need to learn the language and culture of women. Hmm. And who's teaching them? Nobody. And that's not bias. It's a huge business opportunity, right? To get better access to great talent and better access to huge potential markets. Thank you for listening today. You can find Aviva on 20-first.com or on her personal website, avivawittenbergcox.com. Aviva is written with an H at the end. If you have enjoyed the conversation with Aviva, you're in for a treat. As I mentioned in the intro, next week we will have a second part of this conversation with Aviva where she does tell us how she manages her workload and how she prioritizes impact over the amount of hours she spends on it. And I had definitely a few light bulb moments while I was talking to her that I've already implemented in my life. So thank you so much again for listening. As I mentioned at the beginning, if you are looking to join a network of like-minded, ambitious individuals who are parents across sectors, then do register interest on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest as applications are now open. And also, I guess it links to the topic of spreading impact. I really believe that every single person, if they choose to do so, should be allowed and supported to progress their career and have a young family. We shouldn't have to choose. So I want to spread this message and I would love your help. And thanks to all of you who've already done it. So I would love to reach a thousand listeners by September. So if this podcast has helped you in any way, just take a moment right now to share it with five of your friends leave a review which is extremely helpful with all the algorithms those wonderful podcasting platforms use and most importantly again do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and obviously like with any podcast five star reviews really help with the visibility so thank you so much in advance for your help um appreciate it in advance and get in touch if you have any thoughts suggestions feedback i always love to hear from you it's at leaders underscore plus on twitter and instagram or just email me it's verena at leadersplus.org.uk until next time have a wonderful week <laughs>